0: We're going to be in 1 Peter, we're going to get to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 verses 22 to chapter 2 verse 10, so 1 Peter 1, 22 to 2 verse 10, if you'll read with me, starting in verse 22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study it. We are challenged by it. God, as we examine it closely and as we meditate on it, you tear our hearts apart. You change us and mold us by the power of your Spirit. And so, God, we yield to that Spirit this morning. We yield to Holy Spirit and ask you to do a work inside of our hearts. Continue to take these hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh that beat with your desire and not the, the beat of our flesh. But we want to be in step with you and you alone. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, has anybody... Skipped any rocks across a lake? Anybody? Lake rock skippers out there skipping yeah. rocks across? You've done it, Zach. Zach's done it. Zach skipped rocks. My uncle. Okay. Uh, your uncle, Uncle Clay, is very good <laughs> at skipping rocks. 19 skips. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. It is. Anybody beat 19 skips? How Us? I don't know. Yeah, more than 19, Mr. Mark. How many? How many. how many have you? Over twenty, I'd say. Ago, yeah. I had perfect, like, uh, uh, creek yeah. Yeah, I collected and yeah. Dun, 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 dun. So fun, right? So satisfying. Um, so I was thinking about this, and <laughs> you guys are you're gonna have to just go with me here. Um, this may be a very nonsensical picture to you, but uh, I, I need you to get this picture in your mind: skipping rocks across a lake. Okay. Um, and again, I'm telling you right up front, this is this is nonsense, but with God, it's not, actually. So, um, but I wanted you to get this picture in your mind, okay? So maybe, if it helps you, close your eyes as I describe what I want you to keep in your mind as we're talking through the church this morning. Think of God on the side of a lake, picking up stones and chucking them across the lake, skipping them as they go, right? This is... God at the lake. Way over 20. I don't know how many. Really good at this skipping thing. Infinity. These stones, right? They're stones. They have no life. It's a, it's a rock. And God is taking these rocks and infusing them with life so that they're living. They're, they're stones that are alive. And He skips them across the lake, right? Which to get them across the lake all the way, it's a big lake, okay? More than 20 skips lake, okay? And on the other side of the lake, as they land, they just build and build and build to the perfect formation of a house. God is skipping rocks across the lake and, and building a house with them. How crazy is that picture? Just think, about, just think about that. Just put that in your head. God's taking these crazy little rocks from one side and just skipping them across the lake. On the other side... They're forming a house. And you may think about the picture and be like, that's weird and crazy. Okay, but that's what this passage is talking about. Actually, the whole passage, we're talking about what God does in an individual heart, right? He takes our dead, broken heart and raises it to life in Christ Jesus, makes it alive. Something that was dead is now living. And, and he's, he is skipping it across the lake of this life, okay? And on the other side of this lake, he is building a spiritual house, constantly building this house that is an exaltation of the Lord to all those around. God's making a house with your heart this morning. If you're following Jesus, he is doing something in your heart. He is changing a heart of stone and turning it into flesh. He's skipping these rocks. So just keep that little little nonsensical image of God, the spiritual house builder, uh, making the most unorthodox means of building a house, skipping stones across the lake to form perfectly this house across the other side. He's been building churches this way for 2,000 years, ever since Jesus rose from the grave. He's been building houses, spiritual houses, to declare the excellency of the Lord every single day, to exalt and praise him for who he is. And his material in building is you. He's taking us. I mean, it is Anybody looked inside their heart recently? Anybody looked inside their heart? and mean, taking a, taking a deep dive and tried to see what's in there? Doesn't get good, does it? It's like, gross. Uh, dead is really the description, right? God has made it into life. And he wants to use you as his material to build this spiritual house. 1 Peter 2.5 says, we just read it, you are a living stone being built up as a spiritual house. We saw just a glimpse of that timing yesterday. Okay, God can grip a heart at any point, and we're not in control of that. Okay? We, we got a chance to celebrate in baptism with Asia yesterday evening, which was great. Well, it turns out someone had witnessed to another lady on the beach that night, an hour before we arrived, and she came and got baptized that night, too. God is orchestrating perfectly. I mean, the only way I can describe it is he's on one side of the lake skipping rocks across and just building his church. We cannot do it in our own power. It's not even in our logic to do what God is doing for us. So as we look through this passage, we're going to see that God is taking these stones. He's making them living, and he's building them into a spiritual house. So we're going to first start talking about these living stones. What are they? Peter starts with this in, in 1 Peter 22 to, second, uh, to chapter 2, verse 3. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22 to 2, verse 3. That's a, that's a mouthful. Um, as I was looking at this, it reminded me of a passage in Ezekiel 36, though. We'll go back. Uh, 36, 26, it says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you A heart of flesh. The truth is, if we've done any, you know, looking into our heart, like I said earlier, uh, we know that our heart is a heart of stone, that it's been hardened over the years, and and that we're susceptible to hardening it even still, right? We harden it over the years through hurt that we've caused to others, right? Our heart gets hardened by hurt that's been caused to us. It gets hardened by the shame we feel for things we've done to other people, it gets hardened by the sins we've committed against our Lord. We, we constantly harden this heart. But God is forming with these hardened hearts. He's taking them from death and, and forming them to living stones. He's taking followers of Jesus and, and turning them into living stones with hearts full of a sincere and brotherly love for one another. 1 Peter 20, chapter 1 verse 22 starts out this way, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Peter is turning from talking about the holiness of God, which we looked at last week, to what, what our place to play in that is. And, and we are to be loving one another. We're to be holding a sincere, brotherly love for one another. That's what it is to be the church. Okay, the message today is about the church. What does it look like? It's made about two things, individuals and the body, members and the body, body and the members. The members are these living stones who've been purified by obedience to the truth. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the truth we've been obedient to, Right? If, if our hearts, our stone hearts, have been purified and, and changed by some obedience to truth, what is that truth we've been obedient to? Peter says it in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now, do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." The truth that we have been obedient to is to respond to the message of the gospel. To respond to the good news of Jesus, that he has died for us. Obedience Obedience to truth is our belief in Jesus. Peter is talking to this group in the region of Turkey, as we talked about, and they never walked with Jesus. They didn't get to see him teaching like Peter got to see him teaching. They didn't see him do the miracles like Peter saw him do the miracles. And so Peter is glorying in the fact that this body of believers has believed in him even though they haven't seen him. Even though they do not see him now, they believe by faith that Christ has done a work in their hearts, changing them from hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And what have they been placing their faith in? What is this truth that they have believed in? It's what we believe about Jesus. Let's just look at Jesus' words himself. What, what does he say about himself? What is it that we are to believe? When Jesus says, repent and believe, which we've looked at for a very long time, what is he asking us to believe? He's asking us to believe this, John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're going to believe Jesus' message, this is what we're going to believe. There's only one way to the Father in heaven. Also, if you're going to believe Jesus' message, you're going to believe this about Jesus. Mark 10, verses 33 to 34, he said to his disciples, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Just didn't come with just some teachings to follow, as if he's the way of truth and life, and these are the things you need to learn from me. The way of Jesus, the one way of Jesus, is unto the cross, to die there on our behalf. And after three days, not just be stuck in the grave, but to rise again. When it means we've been obedient to the truth about Jesus, we've been obedient to this testimony, this ministry, that God sent the Lord Jesus to live a perfect life and die on a cross on our behalf that our sins might be covered. John three, fourteen to sixteen. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. To be obedient to the truth is to place all your hope in the one Lord Jesus. The one way, the one truth, the one life. No other way, no other means, no mix of means Okay, just Jesus. We've been obedient to this truth. We believe that Jesus came to earth, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, willingly gave his life on a cross as a sacrifice for the sin we've committed against our creator. We believe he rose again on the third day, defeated death and the grave, we believe that just as his death counts as payment for the debt of our sin, so too his resurrection will result in the resurrection of our souls unto eternal life with a God. Our obedience to Jesus is purifying our souls, has purified our souls. And what has resulted from this purifying work of the Lord Jesus is that we love each other with the same love that Jesus loved us with. Peter marks out two commands for what it looks like to walk in this sincere brotherly love that's been demonstrated by the gospel truth Jesus lived out before us. Two commands he gives us. He says, he's calling this group of Christians who's been persecuted in the country of Turkey, right, modern Turkey, To love one another. To love one another. That's the first command. second command that he gives them in this passage is that we long for the gospel. If we're going to walk in sincere, brotherly love for each other, we're going to do two things. We're going to love one another, and we're going to long for the gospel. It's going to be our heart's desire. Verse 22. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. If we've seen what the Lord has done for us, it's simple, right? God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. So easy to say. It's so rote in our minds. But I'm telling you, I have no other play I love that song we sang, i got no other word for you. I've got no other truth to share. This is the one truth I have to share, that Jesus died for your sin. And I'm telling you, that one truth, if you will allow it to sit in your heart and keep sitting in your heart, it will grow and grow and grow. And you will never reach the ends of its growth inside of you it will continue to satisfy you like a wellspring of living water continues to provide. First, uh, Peter goes on to say about it, since you've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. This word of God, this word of Jesus, the gospel of Christ is living and abiding. It does not die. It continues on and on. If you let it sit in your heart, it continues to grow within your heart evermore. Peter goes on in 24 and says, All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It does not die. It continues on. This imperishable seed... Implanted in you, continues to build forth in you a pure love for those around you, for the brothers and sisters around you. And this word, Peter says in verse 25, is the good news that was preached to you. This imperishable word that brings forth pure love for one another is the gospel is what Christ did on the cross for us. Peter's command to this church, to this group of churches, is that we are to love one another from a pure heart. Because we once were dead stones, and God has made us alive in Christ. The truth is that Christians we will spend eternity transformed by the depth of the love that Jesus demonstrated for you on the cross. And if you've truly been purified by this belief in Jesus, then nothing can separate you from loving the way that Christ loved you. To be a living stone, we must first love one another. What Peter is describing here is the stones that have come alive. And the first characteristic is that we love each other, that we demonstrate love for one another. The second is this, that we long for the gospel. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, we should actually read it backwards just the way it kind of logically plays in my mind. I mean, maybe maybe you can read it forwards, but I got to read it backwards. Um, verse three, it says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, Peter's referring back to Psalm 34, where it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then this is what will happen. You'll be like a baby. You'll be like a baby that longs for milk. Right? Every three hours. Just like, give me more milk. Nothing dad can do. Nothing he can do. Um, you'll be like a baby. When we think about this um, scripture, this reference to spiritual milk, sometimes we might get confused and think about the passages that talk about kind of thinking about milk versus uh, solid foods. Okay, there's another couple passages that talk about you are just drinking milk and you should be eating solid foods. I don't want you to apply that here. That's not applicable here. Okay, so just remove that from your mind. Peter is just working with the milk here. He's not talking about solid foods, okay? He's just saying, your desire for the Lord should be like that of a baby crying out for spiritual, pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation. there's nothing new. There's no new knowledge, right? The Lord's cards have been played. They're on the table for us. They're right here before us. He's doing new works, sure, in our hearts. But the means, the message, it's the same. It's the gospel. And we, for the rest of our lives, to be living stones, are just going to feast and feast and feast. On this truth that the Son of God came to pay a ransom for your life. To restore you to the Creator in Heaven. That you would have a relationship with your Father in Heaven. And just as a baby cries for a mother's milk, so too we should desire growth in Christ Jesus. And so Peter, in verse 1, challenges us and challenges this group of believers with, you know, a difficult sinless. Always fun to preach to the sinless. First Peter two one says this So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We gotta step back a second and realize that like Peter is preaching to a group of Christians. He's not preaching to the world here, he's preaching to believers. And listen, we've got to give them grace, because start looking inside your heart a little bit. Um, We're just like them. But you know, give them some grace also that they're being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Like the, the world around them is looking at them as, as crazy people, and as, as people that should be shamed for trusting in one Jesus for their salvation. But Peter cares about this body and wants them to be a holy priesthood as God has intended them to be. And so he's not going to relent. He's going to say what needs to be said. So he says to this group of believers, and I would just challenge us to look inside our hearts and see if any of these words are true for us. If you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and if you're growing as a, a, a baby in Christ, just feasting on His gospel, Then put away all the malice, all the malicious intent, right? That's what builds stone around your heart. You're seeking action to cover yourself. You're maliciously using other people. You're benefiting yourself with others. Put away all malice. Put away all deceit, right? You're operating in a lie. You're portraying one thing, but the truth is something different. He says, if you're feasting on the gospel, then put away all malice, put away all deceit. It's nonsensical to be that way, right? The Lord sees all things. He sees our very hearts. He's the one that can take a stone heart and turn it to flesh. So Christians, let us not walk in malice. Let us not walk in deceit. Let us not walk in hypocrisy. Saying one thing but acting in another way. Let us not walk in envy. We have no need for envy as believers. We have a God in heaven who owns all things and provides for us in perfect time. There is no need for us to envy one another of anything. He gives to the body of believers in His way, for His purpose, some in material, some in gifting, some in talent, whatever it may be. And so we have to stop looking at each other and being envious of what another may have. And put away all slander. That is, speaking about someone else, what isn't true. Peter says, if, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then long for the gospel, and the gospel will rid out all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Remove it from you. Um, I want to acknowledge uh, this week um, a great saint passed away. His name's Tim Keller. Someone might have. Anybody heard of Tim Keller? How many people heard of Tim Keller? Pretty good, pretty good. All right, all right. Those of you who haven't, you need to learn about Tim Keller. Mike, Mike, read some of the stuff. Be good. Um, this, is, this is how Tim Keller described the gospel one time. He described the gospel a lot of times, so I don't know if this is the only definition of the gospel, but this is one of Tim Keller's do- definitions of the gospel. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. This is why Peter can say, put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. If we're honest with our hearts, we are more flawed than we'd ever dare believe about ourselves. And yet, he goes on, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe, and at the same time more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You ever feel unworthy to hope that Jesus is good enough for you? been honest with how flawed and sinful you are would you dare believe that, that maybe you're more sinful than you think and would you dare hope that Christ has loved and accepted you even still that's the gospel you have no hope in your flesh you are a dead stone okay you're a rock that's it it has no breath, it has no life, it has no legs, unless they're formed by some artist into a rock figure or something. It's the only way. God has taken you a dead stone and turned you into a living, fleshful heart. And so through the gospel, he has made us stones come alive with love for one another and continual longing for change in our hearts by the power of the gospel. This is what he's doing at an individual level, okay? He's changing a heart of stone and turning it into a heart of flesh. He's calling us to two things, to love one another and to long for the gospel. And as we do that, he's going to build a spiritual house. That's what he's going to do. It doesn't take some special model, okay? There's lots of models for how the church can be built, and whatever. Some are better than others, I guess. Maybe there's a ranking. I'm not really sure. I don't really care. Okay. There's big churches where the Lord is moving greatly. There's small churches where the Lord is moving very powerfully. The average church is 100 people, right? We think of the the successful church as like 5,000 people or whatever it may be in our heads, but the average is much lower than that. And guess what? God is faithful. And he's powerful. He's building something bigger than we can think, dream, or even imagine. And the material is not some special model. It's not some pre-planned uh, strategy. It's God using you and you and you and you. Turning you from a, a dead stone into a living stone. And he's going to fling it across the lake. Your life, Right? You're going to build it into a beautiful house. The spiritual house, verses 4 to 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. That's Jesus. What is it to be? A living stone? Christians in this region, Christians in the region that Paul is writing to, to be rejected like Jesus was rejected but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Verse five, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Um, This week we were reading, we're finishing up a book by Tim Keller. Tim Keller Sunday. Um, um, about, about, About work. And he was talking about sacrifice with work. And I hadn't really thought about this passage before in this way, but he's talking about uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, where we're offering our lives as a sacrifice to the Lord. And he's reflecting on the fact that a sacrifice, when you take it to offer it to the Lord, it's dead. Right? Okay? Like this, the, the animal that they were sacrificing in the Old Testament, when they put it on the altar, it was dead. Right, They'd already killed it. And then they put it on the altar and sacrificed it to the Lord. And so to offer yourself as a sacrifice to the Lord in worship is to say, I'm dead. Okay, My old self is gone. And I'm something different now. I offer my whole self to you, Lord. So God is taking these living stones that we would be built in this spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he describes further, Jesus says the stone in verses 6 to 8. He says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe you won't be put to shame because you believe in the stone that is the cornerstone. But for those who do not believe, that stone, the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone. And verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word and they are destined to do so. We have an opportunity as believers or as people to hear the gospel message and obey it or disobey it. And for those that disobey it, that stone of Jesus that God would send his son to die on your behalf, that you can't, if you cannot accept that gospel, then Jesus is a stumbling block for you. He's become an offense to you. It's very simple, but we actually can be so prideful in our hearts that we will not accept that God would die for us. We won't accept it. We believe that it has to be on our backs so often. So I challenge you to dare to hope that you are loved and accepted in Jesus Christ. And do not stumble that someone greater than you, infinitely greater than you, has come down and lived a perfect life on your behalf and died on a cross you deserved, that you would be restored to your Father in heaven. Don't stumble on this stone. Accept it and receive it. It's an imperishable word that will bring you life everlasting in this life and the life to come. He says to this church, going on in verses 9 to 10, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God is building a spiritual house with us. And He's using us. It doesn't matter the model. It matters where your heart is. And Peter challenges us to do two things with our lives constantly. Right? Sounds similar to someone who asked, What is the greatest commandment, Jesus? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Peter says. love one another out of a pure heart and long for the pure spiritual milk of this gospel. It's the same message. So I challenge you with these few things as we go. Um, First this. If you're a believer, you've been purified by the love of Jesus. You've been purified. Your your soul is being transformed and changed by Christ. And and there's no new message. There's no no new thing to share with you. Yeah, you can grow in biblical knowledge, but it all points to this one fact. Christ died for you. And you're just going to grow and grow in your your, uh, glory and exaltation of that truth in your heart. It's not, a, there's no new truth as you grow up. Anybody, how long has anybody been a believer? Long has you been a believer? How long have you been a believer? Sylvana, how long have you been a believer? Okay. Have you learned anything new in 32 years? I haven't. There's nothing new. It's the same message. God died for you. And so, I appeal to you, brothers, Romans 12:1 and 2, By the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God. It is good and acceptable and perfect. Your life is being purified by the sacrifice of Christ, and His call on you is to give back that exact same thing to those around you. Love as as Christ loved you. You've been purified by the truth of the gospel. No new information. Just that God in His grace sent Jesus to die for you. That if you believe in Him, you'll have eternal life. And finally, this. that As we do this, as we accept that we have been made from dead stones to living stones know that you're being built into a spiritual house. God doesn't leave you isolated. Okay? He, he doesn't leave you alone in some corner. He wants to use you to build something beautiful that's bigger than you. Jesus said it best in John 17, 20-23, I do not ask for these only, that is the disciples, uh, the, the, the 12 disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you love me. God's material for this house is you and me. And he wants to build us up. He doesn't leave us alone, separate in corners. He brings us together and uses the the beauty of each and every one of our gifts to build a house. That as we put away all malice, as we put away all envy and all bitterness and pride and deceit and hypocrisy, as we put those things away and rather put on love for one another, brotherly, pure love for one another, and as we trust in the simple message of the gospel He is building a house by every model and by every means. And the purpose of this house is that that we would be one, one on this singular fact that we trust in Christ for our salvation in Christ alone. That we would be one with the Father in heaven. Can you imagine having the same unity with one another as God has With himself. That's what he's asking us to do. Asking us to press into. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. In that same way. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them as you love me. God's evangelism plan for the world, his, his intention to show people who He is, is that broken, messed up, jankety old stones would come to life and be built together in unity under one name, the name of Jesus. And so I challenge you to not forsake the body of believers but to press in and be the piece of this house that you need to be God is building a spiritual house and the only way he does it is if you're here and part of it and he's calling you to that he doesn't want you to be alone he doesn't want you to isolate he wants you to come together and and, and know that just as you are messed up so is your neighbor and the grace that they've received they're going to pour out on you and someday they're going to need you to pour out that grace on them. Be purified by the love of Christ. and Be purified by the pure spiritual milk of the gospel. Long for it as a baby longs for milk. And then let's just sit back and watch God skip stones across a lake and build a house. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for its challenge to us. God, we all look inward at ourselves and so often we feel so much shame and so much guilt that we convince ourselves to not be around your body. But God, you're calling us to that. You're calling us to hope, more than we ever believed we could, that we are acceptable in your sight, not by our merit, but by the blood of Jesus. And so God, instead of becoming confounded by or bitter with the fact that we're broken and and more broken than we could even actually imagine, Would we rather glory in the fact that in spite of how broken we are and how messed up we are, that you have accepted us in Christ Jesus and by His blood? And Lord, help us commit to a love that has been purified by the cross of Jesus Christ. And help us commit to A gospel that is not complicated. That is the same message over and over and over again. May it stir inside our souls that God saw fit to send His Son to die for us. We exalt You, God. We exalt You. Lord, we trust You're the builder of this house. And we don't understand how You're doing it. I, for one, don't have any idea how you're doing it. But I trust you are doing it. And God, I I lay down any impression that I'm trying to do it. God, this is your church, this is your body. And we desire to be your people. We desire to be a holy priesthood built up into a spiritual house. We desire to be one as you are one with the Father. That the world around us would know this love of our God that is unending and unsearchable, incomprehensible, imperishable. And they would walk in walk in it with each other each and every day of our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name.